You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. There's this question. When we talk about family, parents and children, in the Bible, what are we really talking about? In one way, we're talking about exactly this. Parents, children, community, obeying the Lord together. But in another way, when the Bible talks about family and parents and children, we're talking about an awful lot more. Jesus told a story like this once. That once upon a time, there was an awesome dad. He built his farm, loved his wife. They were blessed with kids, member of the local synagogue. The farm thrived. Trade business began. The boys grew strong, stronger and stronger. They learned their letters at Hebrew school. And then they started to take up bigger and bigger jobs on the farm. And life was good. The sun went up and went down. And the boys grew like the crops. And all was well. But then the younger son, he turned 18. And he looked his father in the face and said, give me all of my inheritance right now. And the father did. And the son left without a word. He left the farm. He left a safe home. He left the love of his parents, his community behind. And he went to the big city. And as a decade rolled by, the money grew thin and thinner and thinner into a famine or a recession hit the land. And he found himself homeless, doing the lowest of low jobs, trying to get by. And eventually, at his lowest point, he realized the hired hands on dad's farm are living better than this. So he started his long, slow walk home. And as he grew closer to home, his head started to pound. What exactly am I going to say? I left badly a decade ago. I shamed everyone in my family by saying they weren't good enough for me and couldn't fulfill me, and I didn't want to be a part of them. I know I broke mom's heart. I know I left dad in tears. And as he walked and started to drag his feet coming nearer and nearer to the lane, to the turn, to the move, to the farm, he worried, his heart shook, The tears fell as he didn't really know what to say as he prepared statement after statement. But he never got a chance to make his case. Because Jesus tells us that his dad was hanging on the fence on the edge of the farm. That his dad wasn't away on business, he wasn't at the table, but was hanging over the fence, scanning the horizon, praying and waiting that one day his lost son would come home. And the father didn't stop there. He jumped and he ran and he shouted and he grabbed his son and kissed his neck and said, welcome home, son. His son couldn't even get the the prepared statement out of his lips. Instead, the father was busy dragging him into the house, not for punishment, but to throw a party. And as the farm heard, people erupted and ran to the house ready to celebrate that the lost son was found. And everyone celebrated, but almost everyone. 
the other son, the older son, heard the commotion. He looked over his sickle back towards the house at his large pile of hay from another long day work on the farm. And he was told his younger brother was back, the rebellious one, the one that left him with twice as much to do, twice as much responsibility, left him alone. And the older son snarled. My dad never throws me a party. He doesn't even care about my work that I stayed in my sacrifice. But we find out quickly the older brother is wrong. The dad leaves the party and he walks out into the field wondering why his older son hasn't come in. He explains to his son that Son, all all I have is yours. You can have anything you want. The farm is yours. I am yours. And we learn quickly that the father has withheld nothing. But the older brother has refused to delight in the father's love. It's a sad story with a mixed ending. A father had two lost sons. And at the end, only one has come home. When we talk about families, yes, we talk about the reality of raising kids and working together. But we also talk about something bigger and deeper and wider as the big story that's unfolding between you and God. That there's a good father who delights in you and God. And whether you physically ran far away and rejected Christianity out loud, or you sealed up your heart cold to say, I'll obey somewhat, but you'll never have my heart, Lord. God stands at the fence and welcomes each and every one of you home. His love has proven that his only son would die for you to bring you home as a lost rebel and welcome you to a seat at his table to say you belong, not to chastise you, but to hug you, to kiss your neck, and say, I've always loved you, and I always will. That's what's at stake when we talk about parents, family, children. It's the language of our very souls. And that God designed the human family to highlight these realities and to teach us all about the glory of God and the gospel. Because God loves us, he designed a family where children obey the parents and thus obey the Lord. Look at verse one with me. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. We must remember when this was written. First century AD, Roman Greco world in a culture that despised children, thought they were dirty, annoying, disease spreaders. And if they died, oh well, and they're often discarded and undervalued. But we find in the gospels, the, the opposite, in the scriptures, the opposite, that Paul says, I address you as full humans, as imago Dei, as gifts from God. And he addresses them not just as boys, but as children. He intentionally uses the gender inclusive word to say in a world that discarded and devalued girls, not so in the Christian faith, where people are equal and that the Christian family is run 
deeply different from all their neighbors around them. And children, with this respect from God, as God's people, you are called to something. You are called to obey your parents. The the chief way a child serves the Lord actually comes through the parent, especially in this first part of life. And parents, instead of us going, ha, I got some authority, we should feel the deep weight that our child's relationship in the Lord is trafficking right through us, that we are the hinge in which them obeying us is this pleasing or displeasing of the Lord. And so children, whether you think your parents are great or just okay, your role as a child is to obey. And the rationale here takes a further step in verses two and three. Honor your mother and father, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it, will may, it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Within the 10 commandments, kind of this beginning of the Old Testament law lies the fifth commandment instructing this family structure. That if the child obeys the parent, they will experience the blessing of God in life, that life will go well and safety will abound. And Paul, the writer of this letter to the Ephesians reiterates this promise as a principle that under Christ, that generally the best, safest thing for a child is to obey their parents. And adults in the room, adults with even more adult parents, honor's gonna look differently over time. It's not obedience forever. We are our own people, especially once moving out of the household and fiscal independence. The relationship changes. And honor will be determined by the behavior of both parties of what that honor will look like. And it speaks to this more in verse four. As verse four tells us, parents obey the Lord, thus obey their children. Look what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It says fathers here, addressing dads, especially as leading the family in an ideal situation, but this goes for all parents and all adults in the life of children, that as authority figures, we have a responsibility to children to bring them up. That word means to nourish, to make thrive. You could just insert the word care. That if you're an adult and there's a child in your life, you are to care about what happens to them. You are to care about their instruction and care about their discipline, to see them thrive. And there's three parts to this family. There's three parts that the gospel shapes our parenting, and they look like this. First, it's affection. We love children as God has loved us. You are not going to get far in a family without affectionate, committed love. If that's not there, the rest don't matter. Same with a marriage, same with parent-child, same with any relationship, an appropriate love. Second is an instruction. It's showing God's truth. Kids don't just know God's truth on their own. They need to affirm what God has put in their heart, be spoken into life, spoken into words, spoken through Bible stories and Bible and catechism and all the things are instructing them in the ways of Jesus. And third, discipline is the revealing our need from God, our need for God that as we reveal a child's needs for God, we help highlight it through discipline that, hey, child, you sin and you need Jesus just like daddy needs Jesus. 
Just like mom needs Jesus, just like brother, sister, grandparent needs Jesus. That when we help our children see their consequences in appropriate, measured, not abusive ways, over over time, the child learns the greatness of Jesus, sees the love from the parents of Jesus, but then also sees their need for a savior, that they too fall short, that they too miss the mark. It is a radical thing in our culture to continue to have consequence, but consequence makes us mature. It helps us grow. The most responsible adults we will build are those who see the consequences of their words and actions the clearest and how even positively they affect others too. And the best way to deliver all this, this affection, the instruction, the discipline, I, I, I like to call it the three C's. We got a lot of young, young parents and a lot of young, young folks. So we talk about parenting a lot and we use the three C's when, when I give advice and things like that. As we do affection, instruction, and discipline, there's three things that have to be in place if your kid's gonna listen to you. And the first is closeness. You could call it presence. You must have the quantity and quality time with a child. There's no replacing it. Just being a biological or an adoptive parent isn't gonna cut it. There's a moment where closeness, both in quantity and quality, is absolutely crucial that you're a part of their life in the big moments and in the little, that the iPhone isn't in between you and the child, that you're with them. And the second piece grows, communication. Affection, discipline, instruction doesn't really work if you don't have a communicating relationship. What makes you want to quit at work? Communication. What makes you want to quit on the marriage? Communication. Communication is key to every human relationship, but sometimes we undervalue it with our kid. That we forget to ask them questions, that we got to draw them out. They're not a mature person ready to share it all, but rather we got to be the one who keeps drawing and seeking their heart and questions to know them, know the silly things and the serious things. And the last piece of this kind of thread that lets us be, uh, have affection, lets us instruct, and lets us have discipline is consistency. It's hard to do anything without consistency. Being all in and then all out and all in, it's hard to do consistency, but all the things that thrive, consistent, a consistent gardener, a consistent care of animals, consistent care of children, consistent work at work, that's how things thrive. And it's hard in a broken world. Consistency means we have to put ourselves second, that we have to cut things to make room to be consistent to the things that matter the very most in life, whether that's church or work or family or marriage or kids, whatever. Consistency is often the key to showing up and showing up the right way. And this text speaks specifically about discipline. It says here and in Colossians 3, that fathers, parents, don't be harsh with your kids. The discipline should not provoke our children to anger. It shouldn't discourage our children, but rather help them see consequences in a consistent way. And I like to think of discipline this way. It's like dishwashing. We need to expect we're going to have to do it. We eat every day. We got to clean the dishes every day. Our children are breathing. They probably are going to need some discipline, okay? But most of our discipline needs to be like hot, soapy water in a dish rack. The food just comes off pretty easy. Everything our kids do wrong is not the end of the world. Let the minor things truly be minor. Talk to them, move along. Not everything has to have big consequences. 
Sometimes, man, something gets burned on the pan. And you got to use a brush, but use a plastic brush, fam. Takes a little longer. You got to work a little harder, a little more communication, a little more eye contact, getting on their level, making some space to really emphasize. And you can get that pan clean too. But what Christian parents do is say, we refuse to use the steel wool. Steel wool will cut your skin right up if you've ever had it rubbed on you. It'll ruin a pan in a second. You'll feel good. You got the stuff off. But constant yelling, cursing, physical punishment that gets into abuse and things like that, man, that's not for us. It's a harshness that will discourage. It's a harshness that will crush the spirit. It's a harshness that's not a healthy relationship. And as discipline, it changes over time. You don't discipline a three-year-old like you discipline your 13-year-old, or it's going to get real weird. And so just like affection and just like instruction and just like discipline, you have to change with your child. And this is a model we often use as we talk about things here at Citizens is the God teacher, coach, partner, friend. When your child is very small, zero to about pre-K, you're God. If you don't care for them, they will die. They need house, they need clothing, they need consistent meals, they need cleanliness. They do not know enough not to run into traffic. You are God, and it's meant to be that way in their life that they bond so close to you that you mean safety and love and, and providence and caring for them. That is an essential period of bonding in their life to set the foundation for what comes next when they kind of become people who can talk back and talk with you and reason through things. And the next phase is teacher. Kind of starts around pre-K, maybe a little earlier. These stages blend, but your kids become hungry to know stuff. They want to know how to tie their shoes and put on a shirt and how to, how to, you know, care for the dog and eventually reading and math and social skills and Bible stories, and they ask questions. And most of us fall in love at this age in a, in a wonderful way. It can be the golden age of parent rearing because guess who's the hero? You. <laughs> Suddenly, you're not just caring and having little battles over stuff when they're too little to totally understand. Suddenly, they want to be just like you. My son wants all my tools and replica smallness to be with me around the house. It's awesome. And you want this to last and last and last, but the truth is it doesn't. And if you're paying attention as a parent, it starts slipping away faster than you think. When Eloise gets bullied at school, I can't fight her bullies. I got to teach her. I got to coach her on how to deal with bullies on how to have a relationship with teachers, on how to work it out with her friends. I can't do it. She's changing. And that's the next phase is coach. Our authority starts to decrease. Our kids spend less time with us. But our influence in our life, if we play our cards right, starts to increase. This is a hard stage. It's tricky to figure out. How do you coach them but not crush them? How do you help them feel their consequences and help them be responsible for their own life? How do you give wisdom? How do you model that wisdom consistently in a way that they want to listen to you? Being a coach is tough work because you can't play the game anymore. They're behind the wheel. Their grades are going to be their grades. You can't cover over the mistakes or it's not helpful to do so as consequences are friend to teach. 
And I like to say the fourth one, this is, doesn't exist for every parent-child relationship, but there's often a partner phase where your child becomes an adult and you partner to do college or trade school or get into their first uh, job or, or living situation. But it's a time of clear goals where you have a young man or young woman and you choose kind of as adults, you're still parent and child, but you're choosing to partner, that you're choosing to work on this next phase together in this could be a, a month-long season. It could be a couple-year season. But it's a season as long as the goals are out front and we all agree on the goals and there's some terms and conditions, we can keep moving in this relationship where we're really helping, where we're still a coach, but we're actually transitioning to the last and longest phase. Friend, your goal theologically is that your children would become friends of God, followers of Jesus. Your goal relationally is that your children would want to be around when they don't have to be anymore. That's powerful stuff. I know a lot of us are in relationships where they didn't transition right. They got stuck at a phase and it makes everything really hard, both with our parents above us, with our children below us. It can get really hard if the stages aren't wisdomly walked through. And as you hear all this, you should feel deeply overwhelmed. I do, that there's affection and instruction and discipline and there's the three C's and all the stages and all the things, you're not going to get it right. We aren't because we're not the Father God. You're gonna blow it. I have, I do, I will. There are no parents who get all this right. Usually we're late to every stage. Usually we don't even realize the three C's. Man, we're just trying to breathe. I'm setting out an ideal for us to shoot an arrow at, hoping we kind of get on the target board. And that's good news to acknowledge just that. Because the gospel is good news, not just for our kids to believe, but the gospel must become real for you as a parent. That you're gonna miss, but you can run to Jesus for grace, for forgiveness, for power to step back in and shoot your next arrow at the target anyways. For the grace to go to your spouse that you, you should be leading as a team, but we're like barely on the same page. We don't use the three C's to hurt our spouse, but to encourage one another forward. To run to your kids and say, hey, dad, mom, we, we, we blew it here. And to ask them for forgiveness. Nothing will lead your children to Christ like showing them how you need Christ, especially when you sin in parenting. Nothing will lead your kids to Christ like going to your children for forgiveness when you blow it and showing them how you need Jesus too. That's how the gospel shapes parenting. That's how the gospel shapes families. Because when we talk about family, we're talking about us and God. Jesus loves our kids more than we ever will. We got a big responsibility, church, but we have a bigger gospel that has room for broken parents like me. Room for a broken parent who's trying to figure it out room for a broken parent that's trying to keep his head on straight week to week 
And whatever your situation is with your parents, whether they're alive or have passed on, I want you to see the gospel hope that God gives us a promise and a prophecy in Malachi 4 that goes like this. God will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. If you're wondering what God is up to in your relationship with your parents and with your children, it's probably this. It might not be a full reconciliation. It might be coming to peace that God loves you and loves them too in their brokenness. But that God would turn your heart to them not to live in bitterness forever, not to live in anger forever, not to live in clenched fists forever, but to live with open hands. That God is at work in your life to turn your heart towards your parents and your children, realizing that everyone sinned and everyone is welcomed home by the Father. Everyone. For me, I didn't get to go through the stages. My dad faded out of my life around 10, became estranged from my family around 12. I saw him very rarely. And when God gripped my heart that I was a sinner and needed a great savior in college, he started to work on me to set all my relationships right, to apologize to everyone. And the list kept getting longer the more I read the Bible. (sighs) And I didn't want to talk to my dad. I felt convicted that I got to write him some letters to tell him I love him. I got to get his address and I just got to write it all out. Write honest letters that say, dad, I love you and I want you to be part of my life. I started to send letter after letter after letter after letter. And as a half a dozen letters left my hand and he didn't want to talk about them. Finally, I'd gotten married to Elena I said, Dad, will you meet me on the, off an exit in Atlanta? There's a little restaurant there. Can we, can we just hang out? He said, yes. As the evening went on and we we're watching a Falcons game, I said, Dad, have you read the letters? He didn't say anything. Time went on. I said, Dad, have you read the letters? He didn't say anything. Finally, I made one last shot. I said, Dad, have you read the letters? And he told me with tears eyes, of course I read the letters. Justin? I said, what do you think? And he looked me back in the face and says, why do you care? I looked at my dad. I said, because you're the only dad I'm ever going to have. My dad hugged me so long and so strong and embraced me to tell him I love him, I forgive him, and say I'm sorry for what I had done. And in that moment, our relationship started anew. It's not all great and gravy. We missed like a dozen years there but we're working on it. And I believe the Lord wants the same for you, whatever the situation. Maybe it's just finding peace or maybe it's all the way to reconciliation. I don't know. But I know God designed the family to teach us about him. And I know God stands at the fence for you and looks at your relationships with hope. Church, let us parent well. Let us love our parents well. Let us find deep hope and peace in the gospel.
Remember, Jesus welcomes his sons and daughters home. 